2: A real sign of our generation is the fact that i cannot hear the song foxy lady and not think of garth foxy and his little his little fox dance Those fox ears if there's ever been a movie character that i associate with it's it's garth it is 100 garth uh. from wayne's world You'd be Garth. I'd definitely be Wayne. Oh, yeah, no. I, I am the Garth of this situation. You are definitely the Wayne. <laughs> You're the Garth of this operation. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You fear change. <laughs> we fear change. Do you have a Stacy, though? Did anybody ever give oh. you a gun rack? <laughs> I don't own a gun, let alone enough guns to constitute an, <laughs> an entire, entire rack. rack.
3: If you're not careful, Wayne, you're going to lose me. I already lost you. (laughs) I lost you two months ago. (laughs) Live in the now. (laughs) Oh, Oh. that's
2: such a good fucking movie.
3: I could do an entire podcast just quoting the entire movie
2: out of order. (laughs) We should just redo. That should be a fucking Patreon special. It's just us redoing Wayne's world. (laughs) But not in order at all. No, but not in order. And that's going to be the fun part about it. And we do all the characters. Oh my god. This is perfect. Yeah, this makes sense. Get ready, Patreon people. <laughs> it's coming for you. It's coming. It's, it's coming, coming to hard. get you. Ah, and she brought it back full circle. Look at that. That's how good we are here. Here at Rock at Candy. Rock Candy Podcast. Hi, everybody. That's what you're listening <laughs> to. We are your weekly podcast, bringing you sweet treats from the world of music. And we are your two lady hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we got foxy treat for you kids this week (laughs) and a treat that was definitely influenced by beer but also like influenced by but I don't know shit about this person yeah yeah so I was like all right all right let's do it let's go into it we're talking about Jimi Hendrix today Do you think... I don't know if he gets... I mean, he probably deserves more of, like, a sweet guitar solo. Yeah, I don't think he would would care for air horns. I get the impression he does not care for air horns. Can you imagine if he was still alive and he used air horns in his music? That would be great. Would he, like, work with Lil Wayne, you think? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe do something with Katy Perry. Oh, you know what? Maybe it's a good thing he's not alive. (laughs) It's not. It's not. That's actually a terrible thing. He would go... Would he go the way
3: of... So many classic rock uh, guitarists these days and start, work- I don't start working with the younger generation. The Ariana Grandes. Mm. Mm. See, that's the, the thing. Is
2: like, I feel like he's somebody who would encourage the Utes to, like, to listen follow to his your music. dream. <laughs> and listen to his music. Don't let so. your dreams be dreams. Maybe. Oh my god, you sound like one of them. Stop it. Well, no, that's the point. It's, uh, what's his face? Shia the Beef. Oh. <laughs> Don't let your dreams be dreams.
3: I mean, Shy of the Beef
2: is a whole different beef. Oh, yeah. That says nothing to do with anything that (laughs) we ever talk about. No, no, Shy of the Beef here in Rock Kitty Podcast. (laughs) Yeah, my brain's on shuffle. It's fine. And I guess before I really get into the meat and potatoes of anything, Even before the beer, I would like to cite my sources because we always forget to cite our sources. Yeah, keep doing that. Yeah, but I'm not going to this time because I'm doing it right now. So first off, I am going to say I am still currently reading the book Room Full of Mirrors by Charles R. Cross. Very good biography of Jimi Hendrix. It is not biased. It's factual. And he seems to try to take his sources from or his information from different sources, Mm -hmm. which is good. And it tells more of a factual story. It's not just like this bloated jerk-off fest to Jimi Hendrix, which is good. because Because yeah. you have a hard time finding that a lot, I feel like, with biographies.
3: I also feel like there's a very difficult... It's it's very difficult to find that when it comes to Jimi Hendrix. Because, to be honest, anytime somebody mentions Jimi Hendrix, people just break their arms jerking themselves off, going off about how fucking amazing he is. Right. And I'm not saying he isn't. Right. However, it is hard to find something neutral, I
2: feel like. He was a talented yeah. guitarist. Right. Just statements. It's a fucking shame that he is gone so young. Right. Those are good neutral statements. Right, exactly. Like he could have done so much more with his life. Right. He was cut not even I don't even say he was cut at the prime. I'd say so he was cut like like I think he, he did done a he more. hadn't even crested yet. Yeah, I think he was like coming to the crest. Yeah. He was He was, hadn't hit he was it on yet. the upslope. Oh, he was curve. he was 100% on the upslope, which is probably the worst part of it all is like when you're on the fucking upslope. Yeah. He didn't even hit like the fucking zenith of it all. That's some fucking goddamn bullshit. I felt like really swearing right there. <laughs> also, um I did watch the documentary Voodoo Child. Mhm. It's on Netflix. It's fine. Oh yeah, that can, they 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 slapped
3: that on there a few months ago, didn't they? Yep, and I didn't watch it. Sorry,
2: <laughs> it's okay. It's it's it does have some tidbits, some little, some little, some little of like information. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a better way to get to know what Jimmy's personality was like. Okay, the positive part of Jimmy's personality. <laughs> you don't get the drug stuff from those. Really? Mm. I mean, huh. you do in the book, but you don't in. The documentary. That's interesting. It's all told from standpoints of, like, letters and interviews that he's done. Okay. So it's a little... So, of course, he's not going to talk about the drugs that he does in interviews and stuff. Or, like, a lot of the bad things that he did. Right. Which I didn't know he did bad. That's, again, the really fascinating thing about this is, like, you know his music, but you don't know his story. I mean, I don't don't know his story.
3: Yeah, I don't either.
2: Like, I have no idea. I really
3: don't know any of it, aside from his... Aside from stories from his famous performances, like Woodstock, and I think he, right. o- he opened for the Monkees once, and it was horrible. Oh. I think he did that, right?
2: He I opened don't for think the so. Really? I don't think so. Am I thinking of somebody else? Maybe. No, he did tour with the Monkees.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, like, people booed him off the stage. Because they were probably, like... Because they wanted to see the Monkees. Yeah, <laughs>
2: Jimi Hendrix and the Monkees is not... That is a weird bill. That's a weird... It's almost as weird as the concert we went to. I was just gonna say, but it also sounds delightful. Almost
3: as weird as Devin
2: Townsend opening for Avatar, but you almost, know, but not quite. Almost, kind of. My other source is this beer. It's a good <laughs> source. Through. It's a good source of <laughs> nutrients. Sure, it's nutrients that my some, body craves. Some greens. It's <laughs> the hops <laughs> Your that my body, body craves, craves. Electrolytes. It does. I mean, there's electrolytes in beer, right? Sure, sure. Anyway, we are drinking this week haze. From uh, Treehouse Brewing, I like how in- you said Hayes. it. Haze, I don't. I mean, like it's weird. It's like
3: it's waving Just at you. Just say it. Just
2: say it. Haze, fuck you. <sighs> it's a double no, IPA. It,
3: it makes it sound like it's waving at you, and I Hayes.
2: like that. Haze. I mean, it's me. I, you know, I'm not going to say like a normal person would. But anyway, <laughs> yes, it's from so, Treehouse House Brewing Brewing Company. It is a double IPA, brewed in Monson, Montserrat. i made it french it's not french um but it's a fun it's a fun little can and it's a it's an ipa it's good it's fine i like it yeah it tastes really good with blueberries
3: it does surprisingly Like those
2: blueberries were clutch i feel it added a nice little like just sweet little subtle flavoring in there
3: yeah treehouse has a lot of really good beers yeah, And they're very exclusive. Mm,
2: I so mean, every time... special. Every time any one of our friends go to Treehouse, like, I can't believe we're here at Treehouse. Seriously, though. But honestly, like, <laughs> every time anyone ever goes to Treehouse, they make a big fucking deal about it on Facebook.
3: Well, people camp out on their brewery grounds just to stand in line to get cans of beer. I mean, they're fine. Their stout's quite good. Their their coffee stout was mm. fucking delicious. It was, I, mean, I was down with that. I mean, I'm not about to camp out. No, no. Period. Let alone camp out at a brewery and Mm-mm. wait for beer in the morning. I can just go some
2: other time.
3: Yeah. Or go somewhere else. I it's mean,
2: fine. I'm but, happy with what I can get. But it's good beer. Yeah, Treehouse does a good job. Beer, Shout out to Treehouse, for if you're, sure.
3: If you're inclined to stand in line for a long time, you can go there in Massachusetts and get some of their beer.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know we got a lot of you uh, New York, New England listeners. You know where to go.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: It's Monton. And
3: pick some up for me while you're there. Yeah.
2: If you could uh, grab us some beers, that'd be (laughs) clutch. We're not going to do an episode on them, though. Especially if it's, like, fish or the Flaming Lips. (laughs) I don't think they
3: have jam-ban-themed beer. We'll save that for Dogfish
2: Head. (sighs) Come on, Dogfish Head. Get it together! (laughs) Anyway, let's get into this. So, Jimi Hendrix is a household name. His music is stuff of actual legend. But what about the legend of Jimi Hendrix? How many people know his story? How he came to be? Who influenced him? Where's he originally from? Well, today I'd like to share that tale with you. The listeners. Ooh. Mm, maybe she a little NPR with this. <laughs> his story is one of hard work, where you see someone who is genuinely passionate for the art and couldn't stop learning more and more about his true love, music. The struggles he went through in childhood, as well as early adulthood, helped to shape the emotional sound his guitar would make when he played it. But he had his demons as well, and they would lead to his eventual and all too early death. Jimmy was a quiet and gentle soul, but once he had a guitar in hand, his personality did a 180, and he would become a ball of energy that you just couldn't ignore. Here is where I start to tell his little story. It's not little, it's actually really way more immense than i expected it to be
3: gather around kids
2: gather around children it's while i tell time. you the tale of jimmy hendrix <laughs> <laughs> Mew, meow. no air horns here no air horns the story of Jimi hendrix begins on november 27th 1942 in seattle washington johnny allen hendrix was born to lucille and al and these parents had a pretty tumultuous relationship from the start Lucille was only 16 when she not only got pregnant by a 22-year-old Al, Ooh. she also married him three days before he was shipped off into the army for World War II. Yikes. Right? So really, it shouldn't surprise anyone that this wasn't the best arrangement. No. 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 Mm-hmm. Not great. Also, I did not know he was from Seattle. He is. Well, holy shit. West Coast boy. Hmm. Northwest Coast boy. <laughs> that makes more sense. Raising a child on your own is hard enough, but for someone who is a child themselves, Lucille needed all the help she could get. And to her sister Dolores and friend Dorothy, who basically took her son as their own child. A village definitely raised Johnny. And that's how he would be known until the age of four, when his parents decidedly changed his name to James Marshall Hendricks in honor of Al's late brother. Interesting. Right?
3: That's kind... That's kind of changing yeah. a, a dog's name, like who's 12 and you just adopted him and right? they've had the same name their whole
2: life. yeah or even at 12, like when you adopt like a five-year-old dog, but he comes yeah. to you with the name Chris and you're like, why would you name a dog Chris? And you're like, all right, we got to come up with something. <laughs> we got to come up with something that's yeah. kind of like Chris, but I... <laughs> not a human name. Because you know what? Naming don't your name animals your animals hum- human no. names. Don't do it.
3: I watched one of those um, videos by the Dodo that does a lot of the animal videos. Oh, I love those. And somebody had a story of their dog in it. And I wasn't listening to it. I was just reading the captions. And they kept referencing somebody named Michael. And I thought it was a person. No. 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 These people name their dog Michael. That's a human name. And also, too many humans have the name Mike. Yeah. There's already too many Mike's There's already naming too many Mike. dog Mike.
2: This is, this is outrageous. <laughs> I'm calling it an end. Hashtag stop all <laughs> I
3: mean, I I'm not saying
2: Mike's are bad. I'm just saying can we stop your name's naming a little bit overused. Mike? Yeah. It's a
3: little bit overused. We don't need it anymore. We're done. We can put it away for a while. My own boyfriend's name is Mike. So, like... Enough. Yeah. Enough. We've seen it. It's been done. Like, if I go into a bar and I just say, hey, Mike, and like 10 people turn around, it's too many mics. Too many mics. Too, too many, many mics. Mi-
2: Seriously, though. Too many mics. If you're naming your dog, Mike, we're done. Michael. Michael. Hey, Michael.
3: <laughs> Michael, time for dinner. I would just You work- gotta go pee-pee, Michael. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, do you poops and your pees in the yard, Michael? Jingle poopies. Oh, my God. Fucking don't name your dog a human name. You're not cute. You're not clever. You're just an asshole. You're very unoriginal. I don't also, know how many listeners we just lost with this rant, but I stand by I my stand beliefs. I stand by this.
3: All you Michaels out there are just fine. However, we're done with your name.
2: And I'm done with people naming their dogs human names. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Both of those things. We're Thank done. you You're done. We're done. We're over it. Thank you, next. <laughs> and I think it's, it's, uh, it should be important to say something that the women in Jimmy Hendrix's life were really important and, like, crucial in raising him. They like, seem like it. Yeah, I mean, like, his mother wasn't the best, but, like, her family and friends, like her father's, or I'm sorry, his father's mother, so Jimmy's grandmother, mm-hmm. they all had a very heavy hand in raising him. Which I think, you know, really shaped a lot of his personality mm-hmm. and why I think he came across a lot more calm. Mm-hmm. So, That's I don't know, I just, think, I just think it's it's it's, a, it's important to note, like, Jimi Hendrix would not have been Jimi Hendrix if he was not raised by a lot of ladies, I think. I think yeah. it helped him to, like... I would see that. I mean, like, especially in the times of like the fifties, like that helped him to be a little bit more in touch with his emotions because yeah. men back then were not supposed to show emotion. Right. Guys, you can show your emotions now. It's fine, fine. with it. It's fine. Do it. I want I like watching a man cry. That sounded wrong. <laughs> you know what? Uh, but did it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the age of three that Al got to meet his son for the first time and finally had a chance to develop an actual relationship with his wife. Now that he was back, that meant more babies. The next in line was Leon, who would be the sibling closest to Jimmy not just in age, but in camaraderie as well. They helped each other get through their childhoods. See, Al had trouble finding and keeping a job when he came back from his service. Both he and Lucille discovered a common love for the devil's juice. Alcohol. (laughs) It's Isn't like, it? it's like Sparks for loco.
3: What are you talking about? It's just <laughs> for loco.
2: They fucking loved for loco. They were ripped on for loco oh all the time. <laughs> Picture like 1950 for loco. Giant cans of for loco in paper bags. <laughs> I really want to Photoshop four locos into like <laughs> 1950s pictures now. That sounds delightful. When they weren't fighting, they were out on the town drinking and having a good time. But Al couldn't keep his fist to himself, and Lucille found it easy to roam. Because there was a huge age gap. She'd kind of leave, go hang out with other men. He'd huh. get really jealous. He'd hit her a lot. It was a terrible relationship. That they shouldn't sounds have been awful. together. Yeah, not great. Not a great place to raise children. Nope. Or even exist. Don't do it.
3: Nope.
2: They moved around a lot, and they continued to have children. Joseph, Kathy, and Pamela. But the unfortunate thing about these children is that due to Lucille's heavy drinking, they were all born with severe birth defects. Oh,
3: wow. That's
2: crazy. I didn't even know any of this. Yeah, right? See? It's so crazy. I'm giving you guys facts. (laughs) That's what we do on this show. Jeez. So severe were these birth defects that the Hendrixes could not care for them and therefore had to give them up to the system. Joseph was born... With two rows of teeth. What? He, That's one terrifying. One of the birth defects was he had shark teeth. That's terrifying. Can you imagine a baby
3: with two rows of teeth? I don't even want to imagine a baby, right? Let alone one with
2: two rows of teeth. Two rows of teeth. That's and a club crazy. Foot. Yeah. I feel so bad for them. Yeah, these kids. I, they don't really, and the and book like, doesn't really go much further into detail than like, I mean, what happened, but
3: the oof. system still isn't that great. But the system in the 50s and 60s, no, holy fuck, with,
2: with like just developmentally disabled, disa- thank you, that's the word, disabled children. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, horrible. I, I don't even want to, I don't even, oh, I have no idea. Even Leon would be given to foster care off and on throughout his childhood, which was a blow to Jimmy, who was deemed old enough to, like, I guess, I don't know, mentally stable enough? I don't know. But just to care for himself and stay with his parents. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like, all right, the parents can take care of one kid. Jimmy's the oldest. He seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He can stay with his parents. So what happened to his next youngest? So Leon would kind of come in and out of the picture. Sometimes he would be in foster care. Sometimes Al would get his shit together enough to, like, have him again. Okay. Okay. Finally, enough was enough, and Al and Lucille decided to split for good. Al would take Jimmy, but would still have trouble holding on to work, and would move Jimmy around Seattle for years. Between looking for work and the drinking, Al was a pretty absentee father. So, Jimmy would find sanctuary in family, friends, or even Leon's foster homes. What? Why he, he would go stay with Leon's foster family. Voluntarily go
3: to a foster home because his dad couldn't keep a shit
0: together. And,
2: like, the foster homes that his brother was staying at were just, they were, like, yeah, we can take another kid in, like, just, like, not permanently, but, like, they would give him dinner, and, like, once in a while, he'd probably just sleep there.
3: Well, I mean, good for those would foster parents. Because shit would be so bad, right? Because if you can find foster
2: parents like that, that's great. You know, I guess the convenient thing, in a sense, was that they were all in the same kind of similar neighborhood. Yeah. They were relatively close, so it's like, well, what's having Jimmy come over and have some food and go home? Yeah. One of the comforts Jimmy found in life was to carry around a broom like an electric guitar, (laughs) mimicking his idols like Muddy Waters, BB King, or Howlin' Wolf. So just this little kid walking around, I've got an electric guitar! Look at this! (laughs) Adorable. (laughs) In high school, Jimmy was helping his father on a side job and found an old guitar with only one string. He used it to start to teach himself how to play the classics, specifically Elvis tunes. The fact that he not only had to learn to play by ear, But also do it using only one string probably explains why his technique was so insanely in touch and precise. Mm -hmm. Around age 14, two things happened that influenced Jimmy forever. Seeing Elvis play in concert and watching Little Richard preach. Because there was a brief stint where Little Richard was like, I'm just going to preach. I'm not going to do rock and roll anymore. And then he's like, fuck this. I want the bitches.
3: That's interesting.
2: I don't know he. I don't know about the "fuck this, I want the bitches" part. I made that up. He also officiated Cindy Lauper's wedding. Yeah, he did, because he could. Cause mm-hmm. He was a preacher. Absorbing the absolute charisma of both of these men and seeing the influence they had on their audiences gave Jimmy a desire and a need to do those things himself. Music was an understandable escape for Jimmy. And he had begun to have dreams of becoming a rock and roll star who would become an amazing guitarist, make tons of money, and come back to Seattle and shower his friends and family with cash. He wanted to repay all of the kindness that had been shown to him in his tougher times. So, he was always a pretty generous guy, Mm -hmm. which is good. Few times were rougher than at the age of 16, when his mother Lucille died of complications brought on by cirrhosis of the liver. Damn. She had spleen failure. Damn. Yeah. While Jimmy and Leon wanted to honor and grieve their mother, Al wanted them to learn how to deal with loss like a man. Oh, boy. So he prevented them from going to the funeral and instead had them take shots of whiskey. Because that's a healthy coping mechanism. Oh, my
3: fucking God. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just let him go to the funeral. Yeah. So that happened. Wow. Jimmy finally got strings to put on the rest of his guitar, but the neck was so warped that they just didn't work. So, he convinced his dad to give him five bucks so he could buy a brand new acoustic. He used to walk around with his guitar everywhere, slung on his back, upside down, much like that of one of his favorite film characters, Johnny Guitar. (laughs) There is a movie called Johnny Guitar. Yep. I didn't know that. It sounds terrible, (laughs) but maybe hilarious. I mean, it would be a fun watch. Probably. I guess. I don't know. The 50s were weird. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, it took a village to raise Jimmy. He would walk around his neighborhood after school and listen for anyone making music. When he found someone, he asked them to show him what they were doing and see if maybe he could jam with them a little bit in order to just learn more. Mm -hmm. This helped to diversify his technique and overall sound. And it probably made him a few friends. Yeah. I mean, again, people were like, oh, there's little Jimmy. That kid's fucked. (laughs) His dad's an asshole. I imagine that's what people said anyway. That's what I would have said. Yeah. It didn't take too long for Jimmy to get his first gig performing with some older guys in an unnamed band at the local synagogue, Temple de Hirsch Sinai. I guess it also plused as like a performance center, which Interesting. If any place is going to, it's gonna be a temple. Yeah. Yeah. They get it. They get it. During the first set, Jimmy immediately became Jimi Hendrix. He was playing with so much Flash and upstaging the rest of the band, and they were so put off by the showboating, <laughs> they told him he couldn't come back for the second Aww. set. His friends and his girlfriend found him in the alley just, like, crestfallen, like, oh, they told me I couldn't come back because I like, showing them up. This is going to happen a lot in Jimmy's life, by the way. Fucking assholes. Like, Jimmy doesn't... Which, good for Jimmy, doesn't understand, like, you're not the lead. Oh, you think you're the... Alright, you're gonna get kicked out of the band, (laughs) but you look good (laughs) for the one night you're out here. Alright, he's doing it. Despite that crushing blow dealt to him, he knew even then that he would never compromise his style and passion for anyone else. Employability was not Jimmy's concern. He wanted to be true to his own vision and art. Jimmy was a smart kid, but with his life in a constant state of flux, it was hard for him to really excel in school. By the time he was 17, school was just not enough to keep Jimmy's interest. All he wanted to do was play guitar, so he dropped out. So when he became a little bit more famous, he would tell interviewers fake stories as to why he never finished high school. (laughs) One of the more popular ones was that he was kicked out for holding hands with a white girl. And this wasn't true because especially at that time, Jimmy really didn't date anyone or like even hold hands like he would have steady girlfriends that like maybe he'd kiss that's okay apparently
3: maybe he's just shy
2: him he's a little shy but i think also too him and a couple of his friends like i can't afford to get a girl pregnant i think the absolute terrifying thought of getting someone pregnant made them be like i need to fuck anything i can masturbate (laughs) this is fine this is fine But also, I should note that all the schools that Jimmy went to in Seattle, not all of them, but a lot of them, were very diverse. Like, full of, like, Filipinos, blacks, whites, Asians, Mm -hmm. like, everybody. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know how pissy his school would have even been if he held hands with a white girl. Right. So, but he just wanted to make his, he wanted to make his mythos a little more interesting than just, school's stupid, I'm out. Yeah. His first real band of any significance would be called the Velvetones. They comprised of guitars, keyboards, horns, and they dressed up in suits and glued glitter on their pants to make them shiny. Glitter? They's into glitter. They sent into glitter. They They're into glitter. <laughs> and while the chance to play with other musicians helped Jimmy greatly, it was hard for him to make loud enough sound with his soft acoustic guitar. So again, with his father's help... He got himself a sweet electric guitar. I mean, at least
3: his dad had the foresight enough to be okay with buying him a guitar. Or did he steal the money from well, his dad?
2: No. His dad gave it to him with like a lot of begrudgingness. Uh huh. So there's that. Um also Jimmy was left handed and Al did not like that. Maybe because of the devil, I don't know.
3: Back then it was because of the
2: devil. Yeah, left handed people are satanic and the devil.
3: They forced my grandmother to write. You're left-handed, aren't
2: you? I am left-handed. You are the devil. That's
3: true. You know what? This checks. <laughs> this this all makes sense. All right. Yeah. Um, you know what? Al was right. <laughs> my grandmother was left-handed, and when she got into school, they forced her right. to write with her right hand. Right-handed, and she was she went to public school, so yeah. she didn't even go to a
2: private school or Catholic school. Damn. Yeah, they didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Well, so Jimmy's dad would only buy him right-handed guitars. So just to be a jerk, just to be a dick, he's like, "I'll buy you a guitar, but you have to get right-handed." And Jimmy's like, "Fine, whatever." So in order to remedy this BS, he had to restring the right-handed guitar, turn it to upside be usable down, usable for a lefty. He yeah,
3: turned it upside down and it upside then restring down. it. And That's restring. what Kurt Cobain did. Yeah, well, he did it. He learned it from Jimi Hendrix.
2: Oh, I learned it from watching you, Jimmy. <laughs> Ooh, I think Ooh. he learned too much from watching Jimmy. Ooh,
1: <laughs>
2: why? Ooh. Ugh. Woof. Also, too, poor Jimmy, his first electric, he couldn't really leave it anywhere. Because, like, he was still kind of nomadish. Like, his home with his dad just wasn't possible Uh to, like, he'd stay there. But he couldn't really keep his guitar there. Because, again, his dad was kind of a dick about having a guitar. He'd probably do something to it. he thought, like, music was bullshit and, like, Jimmy needed to get a real job. You know what? I think his dad's bullshit. Oh, no, his dad's total bullshit. Whatever. So... He had left the guitar backstage uh, one night, and he was like, I'll just be back tomorrow night, so he stole it. Yeah, of course somebody's going to steal it. Yeah. Jesus. So then, like, he had to, like, wait weeks, and he told his dad, his dad's, like, just never let him live it down. It was, like, one of the, I think it was one of the situations of, like, he didn't even beat him. He was just like, I'm mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Which is worse. <laughs> so, yeah. But he did get another guitar after that. His time with the Velvetones was cut short when he joined another band called the Rocking Kings. These are weird names. That's that's a lot of ings. It's a lot of fifties. Uh, fifty ings. It's really fifty. Yeah. Fifty ings. Fifty ings. I hate about the fifties. <laughs> Let's start with racism. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There's a lot. With them, he would gain more experience with steady gigs, most notably at the legendary Spanish Castle, which, yes, is what he based his song off of.
3: All I can think of when you say Spanish Castle is that it's some sort of, like, like southern medieval times. Oh my god, like a <laughs> Texan medieval times! <laughs>
2: yes. That's adorable! And Jimmy also Hendrix
3: terrifying. is, like, the halftime
2: show. show. There's no halftime show at medieval times. I've never been to medieval times, so I
3: don't know. blows
2: my mind. There that are, is totally up your alley. There are no medieval times in New York. Mm-mm. So. You gotta go to Jersey. Dirty Jersey. It's fine. It's fine. You've gone to Jersey plenty of times. And I almost caught my death the last time I went there. And you brought it back to and me. I brought it back to everybody, and it was horrible. It was horrible. I didn't like it. It was here when Jimmy took up the habit. Of hanging around backstage in order to either ask for the chance to do sound check for a band, or he would even offer to play with them should they be down a guitarist. He was ballsy. He was like, I'm good enough, let me play with you. Good for him, right? This gave him more exposure and more experience on stage. As the 60s came in and Jimmy reached the legal age of adulthood, it was time to figure out what he was doing with his life. Besides playing music and crashing at other people's apartments, because yeah. right now, that's all he's doing. You
3: should do something else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. After two questionable run-ins with the law, where he was found to be a passenger in stolen cars that he didn't even know were stolen, he was given the choice to either go to jail or join the army. Wait. He wasn't even the driver. He mm-hmm. just was, he was just in the, in the car. car. I think one of them was parked, too. What? Yeah. Seattle had, a, had not a great track record in the 50s of... um unproportionately arresting black men for being black. I was going to say it might surprise you. This sounds like a case of
3: driving while black.
2: It's totally DWB. Yep. Yep. Yeah.
3: Not even just PWB.
2: Parked while black. Parked while black. (laughs) (laughs) Because they weren't even driving one of them. Yeah.
3: Good job Seattle PD. Yeah.
2: I guess the Rockin Kings did have a habit of stealing cars and like Jimmy didn't drive he didn't know. He's just in it. He's like, "What? What's going on?" Oh well. So these are your friends, Jimmy. These are your friends, but also your friends, Jimmy. This is your police force. So exactly. Well, so the decision came pretty easy to Jimmy because he definitely had romanticized ideas of what it would be like to be part of the 101st Airborne Division. See, the log their logo is the screaming eagle. Like Mm -hmm. you get like the patch with the sweet screaming eagle on it. Did he join the army for a patch? I'm not saying he didn't. um. But you can't disprove it. I can't say that he did. did <laughs> uh, But he would draw that logo, like, on his notebooks and shit in high school, because he's just, like, really fascinated by it. Uh-huh. So, he joined the army at age 19. This is a very ill-advised decision. I mean, at 19, you don't know what you're doing with your life, and you're like, the army sounds cool. Ben Does Fultz it? has a
3: whole song about it. But well, also, your dad was in the
2: army, and... His dad's an asshole, and his
3: dad's an asshole now. So maybe his dad was
2: an asshole. He
3: could have been. He probably was. Probably was. But I'm sure World War II didn't do
2: anything to help it. World War II didn't do me any favors. Didn't do anybody any favors. Oh no. Well, oh yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, (laughs) okay. Like the concept of World War II is bad, but us joining it was good because Nazis.
3: Yeah. And Japan.
2: Uh, it was mostly Japan, though, that Ousting we the with.
3: Nazis was a good idea. However, we still have Nazis. <sighs> yeah.
2: We still have Nazis. We still have Nazis, guys. And as we can predict, being in the army wasn't all Jimmy thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Might be a surprise. It's uh, something I could have told you mm. a long time ago. Pretty quickly, he asked his father to send him his guitar as a way to ease some of the stress. And because of that, he gained the attention of Billy Cox, a musician himself. And they created not only a bond and a friendship, but also collaborated musically. Jimmy wasn't cut out for the army. Who knew? Hmm. His superiors noticed that quickly and saw he had no interest in it, especially as he began to screw off more and more. He would just not show up to things, be late, just like sleep in. Mm -hmm. But in order to get himself an honorable discharge, he began to go to the medics and claim he was having a very intimate problem. He was beginning to have homosexual tendencies towards his bunkmates. And this continued for so long that the army had no choice but to give him an honorable discharge. This was his grand plan to get out of the army? I'm gay. I want to fuck my bunkmates. I'm masturbating a lot. I can't stop. That's crazy. And it worked. So did they end up like telling
3: people that he was there with? So I
2: guess not, because in order to avoid embarrassment, Jimmy told his friends that he broke his ankle and hurt his back during one of their jumps. Huh. But the medical records don't say anything about broken anything. Right. Right. But there are pictures of him performing with a wrap around his ankle. But, like, who's to say that that isn't just, like, to cover it up? Right. But, like, he really milked it because, like, he'd even write letters home and be like, oh, man, my it's hard to be walking around on crutches. That's so funny. No, know. <laughs> well, and the only place that I saw about the homosexual thing was in the book. And I'm going to, out of anything that I've read and watched, I'm going to believe the book. Yeah. But I think he really tried to keep that in the deal, And the army's not going to say anything. They're going well, to the like, "Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, the army
3: doesn't want to be, like... Oh, we got a homo in our ranks.
2: No, they're like, just get the fuck out. Yeah. you Homo. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what they say. Whatever. They're all assholes. It doesn't matter if you're gay. You could still be. In the- <sighs> you lady man. Get out of lady here. boy. You lady boy.
3: <laughs> now I'm just thinking of stupid names for gay people. You glitter gulper.
2: You Ooh, I like <laughs> glitter gulper. Uh, let's see what else. I mean, that could just be your task throughout. Just randomly interject with, like, just things to call gay people. Okay. I like I'm Glitter Gulper, of... though. You glitter Gulper. Rainbow Man. Is that Rain Man? Is it Rainbow Man. See what I did there? <laughs> I'm not that good at this. That's fine.
3: That's okay. I'm going to tell Jimi This is story. my
2: job. All right. Your job is to come up with names for homosexuals that are like 1950s insults. Okay. And my job is to tell the story of Jimi Hendrix.
3: Unicorn Fucker? I don't think they'd say Fucker. No, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. will think of
2: it. It's now that Jimmy has decided to only focus on music. There are no other paths for him. Instead of going back to Seattle, where he didn't see any future career, he instead went to Clarksville, Tennessee to wait for his friend Billy to get discharged. Because Billy was only a couple months behind him. And he's like, well, just fucking wait. I'll be out in a minute. <laughs> be like, out in a minute? It's like he's
3: going to go to the bathroom really bad. Hold on. I'll be on, out in a
2: minute. I had an espresso. <laughs> Shit your pants. <laughs> it's just one sip. <laughs> Shit your pants. <gasps> so once Billy got out, the two got together with some other guys and they formed the band King Casuals. What's with the kings? Well, also, casuals is spelled with a K. So it's King Casuals. That alliteration. It's super Kardashian. Ugh. They got a lot of low paying gigs, so they went looking for a little bit more in Nashville but let's not forget it's the south in the 60s so yeah racism
3: oh tennessee never grew up from that no it it didn't
2: i mean they grew up a little bit because at this time there were only certain places that people of color could play they weren't allowed to play to white audiences so it was, it was worse it was there's i that. mean i
3: guess they're just really into guns down there now and
2: we're not a political podcast. We could get into it. We're not gonna. This wouldn't deter Jimmy, though. He continued to practice hard and learn from anyone willing to teach him. It was around this time where he learned to play the guitar with his teeth after seeing Butch Snipes and Alfonso Baby Boo Young doing it. That's an interesting skill to want to perfect. And he did. Good for him. He got real good at it. He didn't want to be upstaged. So of it, he said, quote, down there, you have to play with your teeth or else you get shot. There's a trail what? of broken teeth all over the stage. What? I think he just meant in the sense that, like, you either play with your teeth or no one's going to look at you or notice you. Because you have to do something crazy you You have to do something like to, like, get people to notice you. Okay. Playing with your teeth. And you watch video of it? I don't know how the fuck he does it. Also, like, that's got to hurt your teeth. I could be saying that because I have sensitive teeth, but, like, damn.
3: <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, you're taking a risk playing a guitar with your fucking teeth. Right? Maybe he, like, also used his tongue? I don't think your tongue's strong enough. Your tongue is, like, one of the strongest muscles in your body. All right, well,
2: I'm going to go see what I can do. I'll be Let's back. Go get a
3: guitar. you am going to play I'm gonna with get real tongue. freaky with it.
2: <laughs> I'm going to grab my acoustic and see, see how this goes and cut my own tongue up. It's fine. Get a callus on that thing. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. (laughs) I don't want calluses on my tongue. No. In order to stay up all hours of the day and night to practice, Jimmy also began to dabble in the use of amphetamines, the 60s crutch in the South, musician wise, I feel like.
3: I kind of feel like that. I kind of feel like that is um, a crutch that every 50s housewife. Oh, yeah. she got to stay skinny. And also every housewife from then on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a housewife thing. It is. Now it's Valium and Oxycontin.
2: Yeah. That might be the better choice. It's fine. Is it? No. None of it is. It's not. No. Well, Jimmy would practice in bed before he went to sleep, and he would actually fall asleep with the guitar on his chest.
3: Oh, that's cute. This guy
2: is constantly playing his guitar. All he lived for was improving his technique. For real. Like, he's good for a reason. Yeah. Again, he is exactly like when you tell your kids if you practice, you just got to be Jimi Hendrix. Don't tell your kids to be Jimi Hendrix. That's going to give them a complex. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we don't need to do that. It's either going
3: to make them feel like they're not good enough or they should probably do drugs.
2: Yeah. Either way, don't. But I mean, who is Jimi Hendrix besides Jimi Hendrix? Your kid's not going to do it. That's
3: so philosophical.
2: No, it's not. (laughs) As restlessness set in, Jimmy would work on and off with the King Casuals. Sometimes he would move away and try different areas of the country, or he would even go on tour with other artists. When working with Gorgeous George, he ended up opening for Sam Cooke and Jackie Wilson. Oh. And he was starting to dabble. That would be a pretty sweet show. Right? Starting to dabble in that. Starting to dabble in that big stage life. That's what's happening. Finally, one night with the King Casuals, he was approached by a New York promoter with an offer to work on something in Harlem. Jimmy jumped at the chance while the rest of his friends stayed in the South. Unfortunately, the offer fell through, leaving him in the city that never sleeps without a job to be had.
3: Yikes. Yeah, you got fucked on that. I mean, it's, New York City is kind of
2: scary when you're by yourself and you don't know the city at all. Yep, and you're from Seattle and then the South. Yeah. Yeah. But ever the resourceful one, Jimmy took it upon himself to try to get gigs, even though it was much harder here than anywhere else he had lived. Mm -hmm. Harlem was all about rhythm and blues, but Jimmy also had a heavy rock and roll sound, so he didn't really quite fit in. He managed a spot at the Apollo Theater Amateur Contest, where he won first prize, $25. That's pretty awesome. Right? But still, this didn't help him gain any notoriety or more opportunities on stage. Again, he just didn't really fit anywhere. yeah. But with the help of a girlfriend that he was living with at the time, Lithophane Pridgen, um,
3: um, also that.
2: known as Fane. Okay? Yeah. It was a complicated name. That, that's the name. Well, he began through her, he began to make connections in the music scene. Fane was a singer herself, so she understood Jimmy's plight and wanted to support him in his endeavors. Mm-hmm. Fane's encouragement and connections paid off. He began getting gigs where he eventually caught the attention of Ronnie Isley, who invited him to audition and tour as a guitarist for the backup band to the Isley Brothers. I was just going to say. The was, IB Specials. Is he uh, part of the Isley Brothers? Yep, he's part of their backup band, the IB Specials, which is just IBS. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poop jokes. Uh. That's that good, good content you guys come here for the poop jokes. Poop jokes. Poop poop jokes. Shit your pants. That was only a sip. <laughs> I hate coffee days like that. Yeah. It's just a sip. Just
3: one sip, and then he shit sh- pants.
2: <laughs> Why? <laughs> From there, opportunities snowballed for Jimmy. He did his first two studio recordings, Testify for the Isley brothers and Mercy Mercy for Don Covey. The latter charted at number 35 on Billboard. So he's getting a little That's bit of that exposure. Good. Here
3: you go. Thank you, Cellophane Paisley, whatever her name is. What is her name? Fane. Fane.
2: Cellophane <laughs> Paisley. Paisley. What That's is her a name? Great
3: name. Oh my god! It Somebody kind needs of, to
2: pick that up for a drag name. It
3: kind of sounds like something Bob Geldof would have named his kids, but it's still a pretty good name.
2: It was uh Lithophane Pigeon, but mm-hmm. I like Cellophane Paisley Cell- or
3: Cellophane Pigeon. No, I like Cellophane, cellophane Paisley. Paisley. <laughs>
2: that sounds like um an amazing drag name. Yeah, and I really need someone to do that. <laughs> That's beautiful. I and, might do that. And
3: they can just wear dresses that look like uh, Easter it's baskets. Just Paisley. It's just so much Paisley. Easter baskets.
2: Gross.
3: Um, covered in cellophane. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh,
2: my God. Yes. That's actually a great idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. That's a great idea. Maybe we have to be that drag queen. <laughs> Maybe I'll use it as my burlesque name. There you go. Cellophane Paisley. There you go. And oh, my God, that's that could be my burlesque bit. I'll just use that Easter egg fucking cellophane that they use in baskets. And just peel it off. Like, this is my bit, guys. And I'll wear buddy ears. And then start throwing chocolate at people. (laughs) Take this chocolate. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. You know what? kind of want to do that now. (laughs) I I might. I will
3: not go and support you because I don't want to go to a burlesque show. I know. But you do you.
2: But I've got to credit you every time I'm up there. I'm like, this was Ashley's idea. (laughs) Thanks. While Jimmy was grateful to have the opportunity to play with such big groups, he easily became bored. He left the tour with the Isleys by the latter half of 1964, but quickly he joined the Upsetters, the backup band to Little Richard. Oh. Mm. It wouldn't last long, however... As Jimmy's flashy showmanship that I mentioned earlier really, really, (laughs) really pissed off Little Richard. I was going to say, Little Richard don't like it when flashy people are in his band. No, he had mentioned many times when Jimmy was around, like, I'm the main part of this act. I don't need anybody dressing better. I don't need anybody acting better. This is me. I'm sure a lot of people dress better, but... But like flashier. But not flashier. No, but Jimmy would try. Yeah he's an asshole, which is kind of (laughs) delightful, actually. But yeah, so Little Richard always felt like Jimmy was trying to show him off. Just show him up. By July 1965, Richard kicked Jimmy off the tour. I don't know exactly, but I think they purposely left him because it sounded like, like years later he would just be like, what's your fault for not getting on the bus in time? But they also didn't wait for him. So I think they stranded him.
3: <gasps> That's bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you can be mad at the guy for upstaging you. Totally understandable. Don't strand him somewhere. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, And years he, later, all of his
3: shit's probably on the bus.
2: I, I might not have been. I don't know. I don't remember the exact details. But yeah, years later, they would like have another meetup and it was mostly amicable until like Jimmy's like, yo, you owe me 50 bucks. <laughs> for and the Richard's bus ride like, home? No, for like just like I don't know, wages unpaid. And Uh Little Richard's like, you didn't get back on the bus. Fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. It also sounds hilarious, though. Yeah. So for the next year, Jimmy would work on and off with groups new and familiar, like the Isley Brothers, Curtis Knight, Joey D, and the Starlights, among many, many others. He just Mm kind of band hopped. Because again, he's like, I want to do things. But I don't want to be a backup, but that's all I can do right now. Right. So he would be a backup for like a couple months and then be like, this sucks. I hate this. Leave. And then be like, oh, wait, I don't have a job, though. Oh, I need money. Right? To live. He definitely, uh, he lived a a precarious life for sure. Mm. But quite frankly, by May 1966, Jimmy was just over being a sideman for R&B artists. He wanted to do his own thing because... Own soulful, energetic self on stage, not have to answer to anyone or anything but his own art. So he was offered a residency at Cafe What (laughs) on McDougal Street in New York City. (laughs) What? Cafe What? What? (laughs) Cafe What without the T. And there is a question mark. So I imagine you have to say, I'm going to Cafe What? Okay. Got it. He started his own band called Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. Which apparently is like a big thing, too. Like, blue in names was like a big thing.
3: Interesting.
2: Yeah, right?
3: I want to say Café What? Café What? Is that owned by Davy Lee Roth's uncle?
2: I didn't dig that deep into it, but it might have been. It was a better known cafe in those days.
3: It may have been. Don't quote me on that. But I feel like I'm Mm -hmm. pulling this up from when we did our Van Halen episode. Episode four, can you believe that? That's a long quick that was time Episode ago. four.
2: Wow, I don't think we were equipped to talk about Van Halen, and we tried anyway. We tried so hard. I think we would be way more equipped to talk about it now.
3: We can revisit it.
2: We can always revisit it. Oof. We
3: can do Van Roth versus Van Hagar, part two. The revisiting. The revisiting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, here at Cafe Wa. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy would solidify the guitar style that he would come to be known by so frickin' well. One night while playing with Curtis Knight and the Squires, he caught the attention of a woman named Linda Keith, then girlfriend of Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards, which that's weird that your last name is his first name. Keith Keith. Keith Keith. <laughs> Keith Keith.
3: If they got married that's their fucking- and he took their-
2: if he took her name. He'd be Keith Keith. Keith Keith. Which would make him more tolerable than I think he actually is as a person. Yeah.
3: yeah far more tolerable. Far more.
2: Mm. That would do wonders for him. With it me. With yeah, me. Yeah. I mean like with me. Yeah. that's important. Or yeah. <laughs> that. Wait. What do they call couple names? Portmandu's. Yeah. That could have been their portmandeus It's just Keith Keith. 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 <laughs> Keith Keith. We can still call him that. I mean. Yeah. I'm not going to not call him that. Yeah. Keith Richards now. From now on it's just Keith Keith. <laughs> oh little baby. Keith
3: Keith. Oh little baby Keith Keith. Have another cigarette. No,
2: I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm 97. (laughs) Really?
3: Oh, my name's Keith
2: Keith. I'm a walking corpse. (laughs) And then we just lost another 10 listeners. Fine.
3: Whatever. I don't like the Rolling Stones.
2: I mean, like, they are fine for what they represent in music history. I don't need anything else from them, though. Like, I feel like if they wanted to stop, I'd be like, Good for you. I think they should have stopped 20 years ago. But like, good for you. Like, you don't have to keep work. Like, you've you earned it. You have nothing to prove anymore. You've
3: earned it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I fully respect their place in history and what they've done for rock
2: music. However. You can sit down now. You should have sat down a long time ago. But like, you can really sit down now. You Please. should sit down. I'm I, worried I'm about you. I'm kind of
3: begging you to sit down. I don't really need any more from you.
2: Yeah, we're good. We're, we're all good. We all have classic rock stations. We're good. We are good.
3: I mean, granted, the one near us only plays like Brown Sugar and uh, that other fucking one, Beast of Burden.
2: Oh, yeah, they do. I
3: used to kind of like yeah, that song. Do. Now I fucking hate it. I fucking hate all of them. Uh,
2: I still anyway. kind of like Honky Tonk Woman. But anyway, wow, we digress. Yeah, let's talk about Jimi Hendrix. Well, all right. So Linda friended Jimmy and suggested to the Stones' manager and producer to check out his band. However, they didn't see any potential in Jimmy's music, so they passed on him. Because they're stupid. Oh, but we got us Keith Richards. He's real good on the guitar. He smokes a lot of cigarettes. He drinks a lot of alcohol and does a lot of drugs. I think he's more interesting than this incredibly talented African-American male. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Flourish the pinky (laughs) for your cocaine. Anyway, wow, I, get, I digress again. But not all was lost as Linda was also introduced Jimmy to Chaz Chandler, original bassist of The Animals. Chaz was so impressed with his version of Hey Joe that he offered Jimmy to come to London and signed him to a management production contract. From there, he created a small band of musicians who would help to highlight Jimmy's talents. And that band would be called the Jimi Hendrix Experience. They would recruit Noel Redding on bass, as he had an impressive knowledge of blues progressions, and also Jimmy really liked his hair.
3: <laughs>
2: on drums, they would bring in Mitch Mitchell, who shared a common interest in style and style in rhythm and blues. What's with all of these people having
3: the same first and last names? Mitch Mitchell, Keith Keith, and there, was some- and there was somebody else,
2: uh, Jimmy James. Jimmy James. Jimmy well, James. that was just that was just a band name. I know, but Chess like- Chandler. What's with the alliteration? Yeah, there's a lot of it. There's, there's a, lot a lot of, of it. it. You're right. In 1966, the Jimi Hendrix Experience kicked off their first tour, supporting Johnny Halliday in France. Not only was their set well-loved in Paris, but throughout most of the UK. They garnered the attention of the Who's managers, and they signed the experience to their label, Track Records. On October 23rd, they recorded their version of Hey Joe, which would go on to be a Hendrix classic.
3: And featured on Empire Records.
2: That's true. I forgot about that. It was released in December alongside Jimmy's first songwriting effort, Stone Free. It didn't take long for the Jimi Hendrix experience to blow up and have a presence throughout England. They ended up on shows like Top of the Pops and floored seasoned musicians like Eric Clapton who knew this kid was going to change the rock game forever.
3: But were they on the old, old gray, gray whistle, whistle test? Whistle test. <laughs>
2: I don't think they were. I think that Did wasn't, that even I don't exist? think that existed then.
3: That was the 70s yeah. maybe.
2: But you know what's kind of funny too is like while a lot of these people like Eric Clapton, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, like they were all pretty impressed. Like they they also like weren't impressed. It was weird. Like they kind of like doubted him a lot. Well, like, they were probably all the like... Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones were not oh, impressed. Oh, I'm sure they were all probably like, "Who's this? You know, oh, who's this bloke over here? He <laughs> thinks he can play guitar like Keith, Keith, well he can't." There's only one Keith, <laughs> case. It's only one Keith, Keith, and he's in the Rolling Stones. And eh, fuck off. I mean, that was me really trying hard to, like, invoke Mick Jagger. Oh, I thought you were doing Keith Richards. No, that was... He was I just talking
3: what? in third person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be both. I, let, I like the
2: idea of drunk Keith Richards talking in third person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, he just gets re- oh, like, he's just, just too gets high. Fucking so ripped, much cocaine. And just talks <laughs> so like, <sighs> yeah. Who is this bloke who thinks he's as good as Keith Richards? <laughs> Keith Richards is the only one who can snort, co- I mean, play guitar as good as anyone ever. <laughs> yeah, that's, all oh, I really like I like this version of Keith Richards oh, yeah. now. It's amazing.
3: Hey Mick, give this mozzarella to your girlfriend.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love it! So it's so gross. bad. <laughs> hey, we might have had Brian Jones killed. <laughs> oh, they conspiracy could've. theories. They we talked about that last year. Go yeah. find that episode. Halloween episode. True crime. Mm-hmm. True crime, bitch. The experience very much set out to have a look that made them stand out, much like their performances. They didn't want to just sound great, they needed to look great. They did. And they but they did though. Like, they oh my did. god, that they look good. Better
3: than Cellophane Paisley. <laughs> um Or because of Cellophane Paisley. Hold
2: up. Cellophane Paisley is beautiful and wrapped <laughs> in cellophane for Easter. I'm really excited about this concept. Yeah. They took to the popular styles of 1960s Britain, which is just like the fucking look of the time and they all dressed similarly even donning the same haircut or afros if you would mm-hmm. so jimmy had an afro obviously uh-huh. and actually Noel could grow an afro as well or noel sorry and uh but mitch couldn't so he had to get a perm oh yeah oh that's he, funny. Mitch, he's like well i guess i better get a perm then because i can't grow an afro i've got straight hair oh To Jimmy, style wasn't as important as music, but it still played a big role. Yeah. A lot of ex-girlfriends from, like, his very early days said how, like, he was kind of gross, but he (laughs) wouldn't, like, I mean, like, he didn't have a place to Um, live, but he always needed to, like, he always needed to, like, have the newest clothes. Like, his style was really important, and, like, if his hair didn't look right, he wouldn't go out. Yeah. So I guess I shouldn't say he was gross. Like, he was actually fairly well-groomed, and he wouldn't go out if he wasn't well-groomed. Yeah. He was very just particular about his look. Yeah. He wanted to look like a rock star. He wanted people to look at him and his band when they walked in and say, oh, they're in a fucking band.
3: Well, I mean, if you're in a band, yeah, you fucking want that because you want people to remember you. That sounds
2: exhausting, too, though. It's part of the job, man. I know. That's why I'm not a rock star. It's not because I don't have any talent. It's because I'm too lazy to dress that way. Image is important in rock and roll. And Chaz was trying his best to manage Jimmy smartly and kept him attractive to female audiences because he had a large female audience. And he was cute. He's cute. His band's cute. He's a good player. He's sexy. Like, at this point, like, he had girlfriends. He was exuding sex. Yeah. He was impressing the ladies. Mm -hmm. Like, he had that BDE for show. So, when he was dating Kathy Etchingham... Chaz felt they needed to be um, pretty hush-hush about the whole thing. So she kind of had to, like, sit in the background and, like, Jimmy might have women interviewing him. And maybe Kathy would have to chase out half-naked women from their apartments be like, what the fuck are you doing? That's some bullshit. Which leads me to talk about how our parents curse us. Their genes are embedded in our DNA making it really easy to repeat their worst offenses. Yeah. We are born to inherit the sins of our parents.
3: Also, it can be a product of your
2: environment.
3: I mean, rock and roll.
2: Males in rock and roll? Yeah. You're encouraged Mm -hmm. to fuck everything that moves. Much like Lucille, Jimmy's ability to stay faithful was not really there. I mean, at all. And uh, much like Al, when Jimmy had a few drinks violence would inevitably follow oh no yeah not a good drunk oh, jimmy's that no. friend that you're like like we're having a party jimmy but like can you just smoke pot or something like you don't have to drink can you just hang out yeah can, you know we're gonna have chill. a dry party you're chill when
3: you know like, you when smoke. he's chill he's
2: chill but when he drinks
3: oh no woof.
2: Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, it's a jarring contrast. you tearing because... me apart, Jimmy. Oh, you're tearing me apart, Jimmy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, he's normally a really qu- kind, quiet guy, speaks a lot about love, really into mm-hmm. that hippie love movement. But alcohol and girls were some of his biggest vices. But if Kathy ever got hit on by another man... Oh, of course he'd be pissed off. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. His jealousy oh. ran deep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you even be looking at another man? Guess who's going to get the back of Jimmy's How hand?
3: dare you? But mm. I'm going to go fuck this lady over here. See you tomorrow morning. Hey, I just like the
2: gall of like, yeah, this woman's going to interview me. Oh, she's into me. I'm going to fuck her while you're in the other room. Yeah. But like the bartender gave you a free drink. Yeah. Come the fuck on. On one particularly awful night, Jimmy and Kathy were at a venue called the Bag of Nails, Kathy went to. That is a terrible right? name right. for a venue. It's the bag. What? Oh, we're going down. I mean, they're still in England. They're, they're still go around. To... Yeah, they're still in England. Let's go on down oh, to the know... bag of nails. Oh, I don't know if... the bag of nails. I would go into the bag of nails. And I I will go go see a uh, Jimi Hendrix Experience. I don't even know what accent that was. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a lot of different ones. It's a lot. Guys. All wrapped I into one. I can't keep doing it. G- uh, Keith Richards fucked me up. <laughs> he fucks everybody up. He does though. Kathy went to go take a call, and thanks to too many drinks in his system, Jimmy convinced himself that she was on the phone with another man. He lost it. He took the phone out of her hand and began to hit her in the head with the receiver. The fuck? Yeah. Paul McCartney and John Lennon happened to be there and were the ones that calmly removed the phone from his hand to stop the fight. Oh my
3: god- When John Lennon is in the room- When John Lennon has to be your get a grip friend. he is the get a grip friend and the voice of reason. Woof.
2: Woof. Ripperoni. Choices. Holy shit. Choices. Jimi Hendrix. When John Lennon is your get a grip friend, tell you to stop beating your woman. Oh my god. Right? Right? This this is surreal. I know. There's so
3: much wrong with this. My brain is like partially- on fire trying to like <laughs> like tr- trying so hard to like process this yeah this is hard yeah this is hard okay you need a minute
2: no continue you okay all right <laughs> kathy did stay with jimmy through his violence and infidelity for a couple more years But she would not be the last of his girlfriends or friends to be on the receiving end of jealous or alcohol-fueled outbursts of anger. Oh, that's so disappointing. Yeah. I didn't realize that about him either. And I was like, oh, come on, Jimmy.
3: I mean, nobody ever mentioned it. Maybe nobody even really knew. But
2: damn. Well, I mean, again, when someone dies, you need to acknowledge who they were as a person, even their flaws. Yeah. But the thing with but, idols is that we tend to gloss over their flaws. I
3: mean, that doesn't depreciate, I guess, their Not at talent all. No. or what they've contributed, but, but it's you also just need, you need to acknowledge,
2: to acknowledge that they kind of can be a piece of shit sometimes. Right. Jimi Hendrix had a drinking pro- He had an alcohol problem. Yeah. If he didn't drink, he was fine. But drugs, too. But I'll get yeah. there. The song The Wind Cries Mary has been claimed by Kathy to have been written about her. She says that he wrote it after a huge argument that occurred between them. Something about, like, she made dinner, he was making fun of her, she said, go fucking eat your own thing, they fucking had a fight, she left, she comes back the next day, and he finished the song. And it made sense to her, because her middle name is Mary.
3: Okay, yeah, that So she that was checks convinced out.
2: that it was about her. Is somebody else claiming? But other women, it's... many other women, have claimed that the song was about, like, was about them as well. Like M- Mick Jagger's girlfriend, Mary Ann Faithfull.
3: Marianne Faithful needs to calm down. Mary Ann Faithful,
2: <laughs> sit down.
3: Sit down. Sit
2: down. Mary Ann Faithful. Whoa! But Just, here's so here's what happened though. In her defense, what happened? What had happened was she says that Jimmy told her it was about her in an attempt to sleep with her. I fully feel Believe that this. that is probably the truth. It's probably not about her at all. No, no. But he probably definitely told her it was. He didn't like Mick Jagger. He didn't like the way Mick Jagger treated her. Which is funny, and then and he asked her why, like, why are you even with him? And then at one point said that you know I wrote the wind cries Mary about you, right? You want to suck my dick, <laughs> Jimmy? Oh God, Jimmy,
3: Jimmy, you are tearing me apart. You're
2: terrible, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I just Muriel's wedding, Jimmy Hendrix. I'm okay with that. But as far as coming from the horse's mouth. He says it's about a number of people, which probably checks. Yeah. I mean, he's had a lot of experience. At this point, who the fuck knows? Right, he probably doesn't even know. So whatever. It's fine. It's a good song. As Jimmy got deeper into the music scene, he would dabble in drugs as well. Most notably marijuana and LSD. Okay. Which is, you know, like yeah, sixties, mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, but would also keep up with the amphetamines and start doing some cocaine as well.
3: No, oh, come which on. Which isn't as
2: good. But as far as I can tell, I don't think heroin was much of a thing for him. Okay, probably a little bit Mm -hmm. because everybody dabbled. But from what I've gotten to at this point, I haven't found any heroin. I mean, that's cool. Some
3: people can try. I have
2: a low bar. No heroin. That's
3: cool. I mean, some people can do heroin once, maybe twice, and just be like, "Yeah, this isn't my thing. I'm not doing it." Yeah, Yeah. that was the thing. I thought once you did it, you. Once your pop can't stop. It's not a Pringle. Oh, <laughs> it's not a can of Pringles. But now I kind of want some Pringles. Yeah, I like Pringles. I don't like heroin.
2: <laughs> that should be on a t-shirt. I like Pringles. I don't like, I heroin. Don't like heroin. What? That's so non sequitur. Yeah, that's the point. Uh. Drugs would become a big part of his creative process, so he would use LSD to open his mind to new ideas for songs. And I mean, again, it's the late sixties. Are you so surprised? But you know who else did that? Devin, Devin Townsend. Townsend! I mean, he and, doesn't and, do it anymore. And a lot, but of, still. And a lot of musicians. Yeah, especially the Beatles. But Clapton. granted,
3: Devin Townsend did it in the 90s and 2000s. So, mm. way. It wasn't as cool anymore. It was with, like, not Fish. cool at
2: all. <laughs> the Jimi Hendrix experience had already been seeing immense success with their singles Hey Joe and Purple Haze. But those would pale in comparison to the hype that they would create with their debut LP in May of 1967. Now, I thought I could talk about Jimi Hendrix in one episode, seeing as how his career was cut dramatically short. However, I was very, very wrong, (laughs) as I haven't even gotten to talk about the fucking LPs yet and we are over an hour into this. Yep. So, unbeknownst to me, dude has a fascinating life, and it cannot be covered in one episode. So, the last few years of Jimi Hendrix's life being on our mortal plane, we'll have to wait until next week for the conclusion. Part two, motherfuckers! This is a two-parter, because I could not talk about him. I... I really thought I could talk about him in one part. But yeah. his childhood was really interesting. And I was like, well, I don't want to cut this short. And again, we don't know anything about his life. I feel like I don't know anything about his life. I guess if you're a big fan, you're going to know. Like, these yeah. things, there are probably plenty of people listening. I knew that. But yeah. there's a ton of people I know listening who are like, I didn't know that. Right. And I also forget, too, how much in the 60s everyone fucking cross-mingled. The Beatles, The Stones, Jimi Hendrix, everybody the monkeys, really knew everybody. The, the animals.
3: It's, I mean, you didn't have Janis Joplin. You didn't have such the dead. A massive fucking network, yeah, of like internet musicians that we have now. Right? You can just you could find fucking anybody. Like the
2: only other, well, I mean, probably not the only other scene. I think the new wave scene was pretty um, incestual, but also like the grunge scene was yeah. definitely pretty incestual. Yeah. A lot of them were connected, especially when it comes to like the riot girl movement with grunge and things of that nature. But it was
3: still pretty localized mm. and it was still pretty small all things considered. Yeah. Um and a lot of it was a, a lot of scenes back then were a, just a a handful of musicians that were just creating random groups left and right with different people. Right. You know what I mean? So they had this band, but then they took members of this band and this band and this band and made this band. But then these members went and took and made this band and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of different bands with the same people in them.
2: Yes. But I just really like watching you.
3: Yeah. Trying that web. Trying to explain that with a half fried brain. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was down. I was here for that. Yeah. Yeah. No. So that is uh, what I got for Jimmy thus far. I mean, still got... All of his fucking music to talk about. I haven't really got. I've barely gotten to it. I've gotten to like where he is at this point musically, but there's so many parts of his story that it's just like, I mean, from like Woodstock to just like setting his guitars on fire Mm -hmm. to his relationships with other musicians and women and drugs. There is a lot to Jimmy's story. And there's a lot that happened in a very only... short amount of time. That man squeezed a lot into his life. So, you know what? Good for you, Jimmy. Yeah. Except also, like, sad that you're fucking dead. Yeah. Because I just do wonder what he would have done with his life had he lived longer. Yeah. But we we'll, you'll have to wait for that lamenting for next episode. Because that's, that's where I am for now.
3: And that just means we can go find another Jimi Hendrix-themed beer yeah. somewhere. I think there's something about, like, voodoo, maybe. I'm sure there's a very well. There's beer. certainly purple haze by Abita. That's true. If we get
2: desperate, if we get desperate, thank you all for tuning in to part one of Jimi Hendrix. Hopefully, you all found it enlightening, or at least you really enjoyed my terrible British accents. Those
1: I, are always the I, highlight. I'm
2: Keith Richards. Oh my God, you know I've got something to say. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, you know that walking cigarette from the comic Dunsbury? <laughs> it's me <laughs> what is, did you just reference
2: Dunsbury? i did i hated that fucking comic i can't it was believe so you just bad. referenced Dunsbury. all right that's <laughs> that's definitely where we're fucking wrapping up this episode thank you all for listening should you uh have any questions comments Dunsbury jokes uh, you can hit us up on our website, www.rockcannypodcast.com. One stop shop. You can comment on our episodes. You can toss us an email or just find our links to social media. Follow us on the Twitter, the Facebook, and the Instas because we post things and we talk and we're getting back, and back into the groove, back into the habit, and we're here for you. Sister act that shit. We are going to. six. Six ass, <laughs> Six to ass that shit. <laughs> well uh, go to bed. <laughs> uh, I, I might need to real bad. Uh, also, if you like us, want to help us out a little bit, maybe like go on to iTunes and toss us a nice little five star review and be like, yo, these girls are crazy and funny and smart. <laughs> and if somebody actually leaves that review, with those stars. Good for you. You know what? No, I'm I I might send you something. We'll send you something.
1: We'll send you something. <laughs> Honestly, if you <we> leave that <laughs> review,
2: I've got to totally send you something. Huh. All right, they listen to us. Yeah. Wah. Wah. yeah. If you're digging what we got going on here, you should definitely check out the network that we are a part of, the Pantheon network. They have so many good shows about music. You need to check them out. And they're all lovely people. They're freaking lovely people. They deserve your listens. They deserve your love. Please go support them because supporting them supports us. Yeah.
3: And speaking of lovely people. Yes. We have a new Patreon subscriber.
2: (laughs) We can air horn our patrons. 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 but we can't air horn Jimi Hendrix. Okay, that's that's fair. Yeah.
3: But we're going to air horn this week. Kevin W., thank you so much for contributing.
2: Yay, thank you, Kevin. You the best. <laughs> I mean, you're all the best, but like, you the best. <laughs> I don't know. Bam, 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 bam. Yay. <laughs> and if you want air horns, give to our Patreon. We'll give you air horns. We will give you so many air horns. Just go visit patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. You can get some sweet swag. Depending on how much you give, get a sweet bonus episode that's going to come out this week. Yeah. We're going to finally do.
3: <laughs> finally. Again, sorry. sorry,
2: guys. It's been some weeks. We've been thinking about you, though. We- and we love you. And your your love is helping us with supplies and resources for f- upcoming episodes. It certainly is. So that's exciting. Indeed. You should get pumped. Yeah. So tune in next week for more stories about Jimi Hendrix And crazy, I'm sure we will talk more about Keith Richards, too. We can do more stupid accents. We're going to get more stupid accents and more Jimi Hendrix stories. Mm -hmm. But until then, party on, Ashley. Party on. Party on, you crazy kids out there. tired. Balls out. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Shanti. And I'm Lynx. And we are the hosts of the podcast Muses. Our show is dedicated to celebrating the lives and stories of legendary music muses and groupies. We are the girls who bring you the stories of those mega conduits of inspiration. The divine spirits who influence the style, career and lives of your favorite rock stars from every decade and genre of music. So how do we bring you these stories? We share them in a wide range of ways from recounting their memoirs to interviewing the women themselves. You'll also hear about the photographers, journalists and backstage movers and shakers who all played significant roles in rock and roll history. Some past interviews include Jenny Boyd. Yes, sister to Patty Boyd, which makes her the sister-in-law to George Harrison and Eric Clapton. Oh, and she was also married to Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. We also spoke with Joe Wood, wife to Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones for 30 years. With over 100 episodes, there's a little something for everyone. Turns out you can always get what you want. And because we're proud groupies ourselves, from time to time, we'll bring you an interview with some of our favorite bands. Join us on Muses for your bi-weekly dose of inspiration. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace, love, and rock and roll.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.